This is going to be a, a multi-part study. Um, and of course, we are in end time, so I thought we would just go over the timeline and to go over some of the things that, as I understand it. Now, prophecy, the Bible says, is not of any personal interpretation. And of course, there are so many different uh, takes on the rapture and people who have dates and people who have uh, opinions as to, you know, whether it's pre, mid, or, tr or, or, or post. And the thing I want to say before I start this series is the most important thing is to be ready. Uh, whether it's pre, mid, or post is not the most important thing. So the lessons I'm teaching tonight and probably for another two Tuesday nights are not salvation. Salvation and the gospel message is to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Whether we know uh, whether Christ is coming next year, next week, next month, is not the important thing. The important thing is to be ready. So I'm going to preface what I'm going to teach tonight uh, with that statement. Um, but I'm going to give you my understanding of the scriptures, and uh, hopefully it will encourage you and Bless your soul and be edifying. Amen. So I titled these series of lessons, and I taught them last maybe about three or four years ago, uh, The Harvest. And tonight we're going to look at part one. And my theme scripture for this lesson tonight is taken from Revelation chapter 14, verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And that's a very significant scripture, and maybe in the last part of, of the coming lessons we will, we will get into that. But the, the nature of the ancient civilizations were that they were agricultural, so harvesting and planting were very important things. One of the interesting things that Israel was promised when they were coming out of Egypt. God told them that it was they were going to a land of milk and honey. The picture that was painted of Canaan, that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, that it was going to be bountiful, that it was going to be an agricultural paradise. If you remember, if you remember the story when they sent the spies and they came back, they told that the land was really indeed bountiful and they brought back clusters of grapes that they couldn't carry except two men did it. So what I want to do tonight is we're going to set the, the stage for how we're going to interpret some of the Bible prophecy because God set up all of these symbols in the um, ceremonies that he gave the Jews in the Old Testament. And they are for our understanding and enlightenment. Now in Deuteronomy 8.8, God told them seven things about the land of Canaan that they were going to uh, be possessing. In Deuteronomy 8.8 8, it says, It's a land of wheat and of barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil or oil of olive and honey. And uh, the scholars actually believe that it really was not a honey from bees, but it was an agricultural product of crushed and boiled dates, but they called it honey because that's what they used to sweeten, or that's the translator's word for it because it was used to sweeten things. So Israel was promised that there would be seven major agricultural products when they came into the land of Canaan. It's interesting that God would take the time to point these seven things out. The Bible never has anything that's just there to fill space, so there is a reason why God pointed out these seven agricultural products. And they all came into season or harvest at different times during the year. So the major ones, though, were the barley, which was the first crop of the year, which was harvested in the spring uh, around the time of, of Passover um, or Nisan, in the month of Nisan. And then 50 days later, Pentecost was the, um, the first fruits of the wheat. So that the two main grain crops were barley and wheat, and they were the first harvests of the agricultural year. Then later on, the next major crop 
was, of course, grapes. And, of course, there were figs, pomegranates, and lastly, towards the end of the year, was olives, olive oil. And so they had different seasons during the year, a harvest year, of of bringing in all of these um, agricultural products. And you will see that if we look at these seven major products, that two of them are of grain and five of fruit. And we'll get into what the significance of that. Now, God also gave them the symbolic uh, feasts or appointments that uh, we all know about, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. But of those seven feasts, there were three of them that were specifically designated as harvest festivals. And on those harvest festivals, not only were they specific um, appointments or moad, but God told them something specific that they were commanded to do. And we're going to read about it in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. And God tells them which one of these feasts, of the seven feasts, that all their males were commanded to attend. Verse 15 of Exodus 23, Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month Abib. Now when this was written in Exodus, the name of the month was Abib. But of course today it's better known as Nisan. When the Jews were captured and taken into Babylon, they adopted the Babylonian names for the month. But in doing so, we lost some of the clues as to the nature of what was going on because that that name Abib refers to the first agricultural product, which was the barley. In fact, Abib means an ear of barley. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. Three times a year they were to come before uh, Jerusalem to these three special feasts, and they were to bring... The, uh, the product of their harvest, their first fruits. Verse 16, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering. So of the seven um, uh, ceremonial feasts, three of them in this scripture God commanded as harvest festivals. And they were commanded that when they came, they were not to come empty. They were to bring the first fruits of that particular harvest to the temple and there so three times a year all of the males were supposed to be in Jerusalem of course this explains why on the day of Pentecost there were so many people from all over from different countries why because they were fulfilling the command to be at the feast of harvest as it's called in verse 16 Exodus 23:17 says three times a year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God So let's just look over again at all of the seven feasts, or Moed as they're called in Hebrew, which actually means appointments, because they were appointed of God, and it meant that they had to come and meet God. Passover, of course, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonements, and tabernacles. Right now, that's the the last one that uh, we're looking for this year. But those were the seven feasts. Uh, ceremonies that God gave them, and three of them, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, had another extra meaning. They were harvest festivals, and God told them that they had to appear. Now, we know that prophetically, each of these seven feasts had a fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He became our Passover. He was our unleavened bread. He was the first fruits of them that rose from the from the grave. And of course, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, was given. And trumpets is most likely a, a future time for the, for the rapture. And of course, atonements is the final um, at-one-ment, the, 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 the ceremony that fixes the sin problem. And then lastly, tabernacles is when God tabernacles with men. So each one of these seven feasts that were given were given to people who could not The majority of them read they were slaves. They had come out of Egypt. So God gave them these ceremonies. And in the repetition year after year of of practicing these ceremonies, the message of God's plan of redemption and of salvation was passed down even without the Bible at that time being fully written down or at least the majority not being able to read. 
So God gave them these feasts, but on top of that, three of them, as I said, were called out for a special reason. And you have probably heard all of the the teaching on the seven feasts, but what is the significance of the three harvest festivals? Why did God designate three of them as harvest festivals? So let me summarize those three feasts. The first one of the year, of course, was presented on Passover. And on Passover, the first fruit of the year was the barley. The barley was planted in the autumn of the previous year, and it had started to ripen during the month of Abib or Nisan, and they took the very first fruits, the first sheaves, and they brought it to the temple and presented it unto the priest to wave before God as an offering. And until they had done that, no one was supposed to eat anything. No one was supposed to partake of anything. The first fruits belonged to God. And interestingly now, 50 days later, They did the same thing with the wheat harvest. But this time, God told them to bake it into a loaf. And remarkably, this time, the order that was given was to bake it with leaven. Now, on Passover, seven days before Passover, the Jews scrupulously go through their house removing every shred of leaven, anything that represents leaven, because Passover represents a, a purity, Interestingly, or contrasted that with the Feast of Pentecost where God said, I want you to bake some leaven into the bread that you bring to me. I wonder how the priests took that. I'm sure they had no understanding of what the significance of that was. But of course, we know today that on Pentecost, all we have to do is come as we are. God is the one that prettys us up. God is the one that redeems us. He is the one that forgives us. You see, Passover before Jesus died, speaks of the law and the righteousness that you have to do. But Pentecost speaks of his shed blood where we come as we are. And as long as we have repented and truly confessed before him, he puts upon us a robe of righteousness. And then lastly, the very last harvest of the year is called the Feast of Ingathering. And it's in the Jewish uh, tongues called Sukkot because that was when for seven days they made booths that were commemorating their time when they were travelers in the wilderness and they had no set dwelling to dwell but also it was the final harvest of the year and during that time in September usually in October they would harvest the oil and the wine so we see that Jesus set up all of these ceremonies God set up these these feasts to portray a future fulfillment. Now, we understand generally what the seven feasts mean, but what is the significance of the harvest? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, we see Jesus gather his disciples, and he tells them four parables. And they understand some of the parables, but a couple of them, they have no clue. They they did not get it. What was Jesus trying to say? And he went on to say the mysteries of the kingdom are not given to everybody, but they're reserved for you. And then he takes them privately aside and starts to explain to them the parable. And so I'm just going to read from Matthew 13, uh, 24, because it's significant when the Bible is speaking about a harvest, you have to note which product it is speaking about. Matthew 13, 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Okay, so now we know that this is not speaking of Passover. The clue to this harvest is that it is the wheat. The wheat was harvested 50 days later and brought before the, the priest on Pentecost. So when you read in the Old Testament, the Bible gives us little clues. We can tell which harvest it is without it even uh, being explicit just by the product that is being mentioned. So Jesus' parable concerns the time of Pentecost. And while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tears also. So the servants of the householder came to him and said, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tears? 
He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then we go and gather them up? He said, Nay, lest he, while he gather up the tares, he root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow, t- let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So what we see is that the, the, the harvest represents the gathering of God's people. And it's interesting that we have three harvests. Now, as I said at the beginning of this study, that there are, of course, three different camps as to uh, when the rapture will be. Because you can find scriptures that seem to point to what people would call a pre-trib rapture or a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. You can find scriptures that seem to support each of those three views. And what I'm trying to tell you tonight is that in a partial sense, they are all correct because that is the symbolism of the three harvests. And in these next uh, three Bible studies, I plan to explain my understanding of what these scriptures mean and how they fit in to God's plan. So when you look in the scripture, you can find uh, scriptures that seem to point to the barley harvest. Revelation 14.1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithsoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. They were redeemed from among men. Then you have uh, many scriptures that point to an unknown day. I'll skip going through all of, all of those, but you can see that in, the, in Matthew 27, 52, when Jesus arose, there was a resurrection because it says the graves were opened and it doesn't say many souls. It said bodies of the saints which slept arose. And I'm going to go back and we're going to look at that in more detail. But there's other scriptures that seem to point to uh, a mid-trib rapture. Verily, verily, I say unto you, now look at, the, look at the illustration of the agricultural product. It says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Obviously, the wheat represents the church because it is pointing to the first fruits of Pentecost. And again, I, we read the scripture in Matthew thirteen. So when you come across different scriptures that point to the rapture, you can put them in one of three baskets. You can point to a, a pre-trib, a, a mid-trib, or a, a post-trib. And we're going to look at each of these in sequence and get an understanding of what God was trying to portray. We see in Joel chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. In the Old Testament, the Jews did believe that there would be a final rapture, and they always put it in terms of the day of the Lord. That's why when Jesus came to Martha's house after Lazarus, was dead, Martha said to him, I know, Lord, that he will be resurrected at the last day. But then Jesus said, don't you know that I am the resurrection and the life? So let's look at each of these three um, baskets. We know that when Jesus arose, the Bible clearly tells us that he was the first fruits of them that died. Matthew twenty-seven fifty. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Now here's the scripture that's interesting, because what I'm trying to say is that Jesus did not resurrect by himself. He was the first, but he brought a group of people out with him. It was the barley harvest. 
And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, I'm not going to get into who those are right now, but we certainly will. But it's clear from Scripture that there was a bodily resurrection. And no doubt it was this event that... um, scared the Thessalonian church where Paul was trying to say, wait a minute, no, the, 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 the resurrection, the rapture of the church has not happened yet. Don't be alarmed. Don't be uh, terrified. There's no letter from me or anybody saying that the rapture of the church has happened yet. But there was a resurrection with Jesus. That's what the scripture plainly shows. And remember, it says he was the first fruits, plural, It doesn't say he was the first fruit, but he was the first fruits. In fact, the scripture tells us that there would be an order, that there would be an order. And the symbolism of the harvest is that there are orders. There are different fruits, uh, agricultural products that were harvested. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, it says, For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Paul, writing to Corinthians, the Corinthian church, said, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Here Paul is starting to indicate that the resurrection was not just one resurrection. Just as there were three harvests that God set up symbolically in the seven feasts. He says, but every man in his own order. And he explains it. Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority. So there will be three distinct harvests to complete the harvest year. We um, have a harvest festival at the end of the year when the last harvest has come in. And that is what God was portraying in setting up the three symbolic harvests in the seven feasts. So let's start to really look at what the scripture says. When did the first resurrection begin? Well, we could have chosen many scriptures about the resurrection, but let's look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. He had already risen. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto him, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. But he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Now remember, the scripture says, but now Christ is risen and become the first fruits of them that slept. So my contention is that the first resurrection began with Jesus. The first resurrection began with Jesus. Romans 6, 9 says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. The resurrection that's the first resurrection gives us eternal life. This scripture says that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Death will have no more dominion over us. So Christ is the beginning of the first resurrection. Does scripture tell us then when the first resurrection ends? Well, yes, it does. And it's very clear. And this is the scripture that confuses a lot of people and makes them think that the rapture is at the end of the seven-year period. But it's not. It's just defining when the first resurrection ends. If we go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2, it's speaking about the time when uh, Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year period and Satan is bound and cast into uh, the, the, the abyss for a thousand years. Verse 4 of Revelation 20 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Now, listen very carefully. I saw the souls, 
that means they're dead, of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There is so much information packed into verse 4. First of all, we're told that they, he saw the souls. The only way you can see the soul is if someone is dead. But then we're told that they lived. What the scripture is telling us is that this is a resurrection. They had been martyred during the tribulation. This is the scripture that confuses a lot of people and makes them think that this is the rapture. No, it is a resurrection of people who went through the tribulation. It is one of the harvests. It says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So Revelation chapter 20 verse 5 tells us when the first resurrection ends. It begins with Jesus and it ends when this group who went through the tribulation are resurrected. But they're not the church. They are one of the three harvests. In fact, I'll tell you now, they are the last harvest. Remember the symbol was that there were three harvests. The first fruits, which the barley, which always in scripture represents the Jews. Then the wheat, which came at Pentecost, which represents the church, which was the wheat baked with leaven, which represents the Gentiles. And then finally, you have uh, the, the ingathering, the feast of ingathering or tabernacles, where the oil and the wine were harvested. The scripture tells us, specifically in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this scripture, Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, definitively tells us that there are tribulation saints who were souls, but then it says they lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years, which means there was a resurrection. And this is what brings the confusion where people say, well, this shows that the rapture is at the end of the seven years. What they don't uh, have appreciated, though, that there were three harvests. I put a little chart there to, to summarize what I have just said that the first resurrection is really a harvest year. So when Christ uh, rose from the dead, that's when the harvest year began because he represented the barley, which was the first agricultural product of the year. And it says first fruits, plural. He was not alone when he came out of the grave. Now, at some point in the middle, and we will, we will get to that in a, next week, there will be a rapture of the church, which is the first fruits of the wheat. First fruits of the wheat. First Jesus on the feast of first fruits, then 50 days later was the church. And then at the end, we just read in Revelation 20, Christ returns to rule on the earth with his bride. But there are tribulation saints and also Old Testament saints. That's why it's represented agriculturally by the oil and the wine. Wine is produced by aging. That's why they represent the Old Testament saints, those who were saved based upon faith. As Hebrews said, having not received the promise, but God having reserved a better thing for us. What an amazing scripture in Hebrews 11. It says, all these died not having received the promise. What was the promise? It was the Holy Spirit that would quicken us and enable us to be in the wheat harvest. But they are resurrected at the end, and because of that, and because of the fact that they had to wait, they're represented by wine, and of course the oil represents something that has been crushed, because those who are going to go through the tribulation, for sure, are going to be crushed. If you can't do it now, I don't know how you're going to do it during the tribulation, unless you're willing to die. So let's summarize the orders. Jesus, the first fruits from the dead, the barley, which is the Jews. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits, plural, of them that slept. And in upcoming lessons, I will show who these are, but 
I'm just going to state for now, these are the 144,000. Revelation 14.4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. For these are they which follow the Lamb whithsoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men. And the Bible tells us that they are also the first fruits. And it goes on to tell us they are Jews because it tells us the tribes. Of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that it's Jehovah's Witnesses. And I always ask them when they knock on my door and start telling me about this, I ask them, which tribe are you? And of course, they can't tell me because the barley represents the Jews. Then we, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, are the wheat. We are the, 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 the loaves, the, the wheat baked with leaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that he sorrow not, even as those as others which have no hope. And then, of course, the last grouping, the last harvest, was the oil and the wine. And that's all the way from Adam until the end of the law. The righteous dead Old Testament saints representing the wine. Hebrews 11.39 tells us that all these having obtained a good report. How? Through faith. They obtained a good report because they believed on him that was to come. But this is amazing. It says, received not the promise. That, it goes on to say, God having prepared a better thing. A better thing. That's amazing that God has prepared a better thing. That we should be granted the opportunity to be in the rapture. Amen. The clue, of course, is that when Jesus came, his ministry was directed to the Jews. It was not directed to the church. In fact, Most of the things that Jesus said during his ministry is misquoted and misapplied when it is directed at the church because he said, I came to fulfill the law. He had to come and go through the steps to fulfill the law and be rejected. Let's look at that. Jesus told his disciples, don't even go to any Gentiles. Matthew 10, 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. Most of Jesus' ministry and the teachings he said were a fulfillment of the law. In fact, he asked uh, one of them, You know, what is, can you summarize the law? And he said, Love, the, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and body, right? And mind. And Jesus said, yes. But the truth is, nobody can do that. If you could do that, then you wouldn't need Jesus. None of us can 100% love God with our totality. And that was what Paul was, was talking about with the failure of the law since it was weak because of the flesh. But Jesus first came to present himself as a fulfillment of the law. And that's why during his earthly ministry, you will see that he except for a few times, did not minister to Gentiles. It says, but, verse 6, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as he go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You will find that his message and John the Baptist's message up until the resurrection were the same. There came a woman to him, a Gentile, in Matthew fifteen twenty-two. 22, And she said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And besought him, saying... And look at this. He he answered her not a word. He was not going to do anything. But her faith was so strong. And this is the key that ties the Old Testament to the New Testament. It was faith in God's promises in the Old Testament that although they're not going to be in the rapture, They will be in the resurrection. And it was her faith, although she was not a Jew, that enabled Jesus still to give her and grant her her request. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you know the rest of the story. Now let's go back to this... um, what I have been saying, that there was a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, when Jesus arose. This is actually prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 26, 19, here's an amazing verse. 
Thy dead men, speaking to the Jews, shall live when together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Jesus here, or the prophecy was saying that when Jesus arose, there was also going to be a resurrection, the first fruits of the barley. That's what this scripture is portraying. And we see this portrayed in the sin offering. Let's read that in Leviticus 23.12. He shall offer that day when he waved the sheaf, the barley sheaf, and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And I've read the verse in, in Matthew 27.50. Jesus was offered, but also there was a sheaf. There was a first fruits presented. And there was a bodily resurrection is what Matthew 27, uh, 52 says. We don't hear about them again until Revelation. It says, and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. It was a presentation of the barley that were redeemed from the earth. That's what it says in Revelation. And Revelation chapter 7, verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit, when they were resurrected, had not been given. But nevertheless, to go into the millennium, everybody is going to have to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. So we see even the 144,000 get to be sealed. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Revelation 14.1 tells us that symbolically, They are baptized because when we are baptized, we take on the Father's name. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion with him, 144,000, having his Father's name. When we go down in that tank, we are taking on the Father's name. And in fact, every one of the three groups, the first fruits, the wheat, and even the people at the end, the oil and the wine, which I will show, every one of them still has to fulfill what Jesus told Nicodemus. No man can enter the kingdom without being born of the water and of the Spirit. There are 12,000 called out from each tribe. And of course, we see reference to that in Numbers, and we will go into the significance of that in upcoming lesson. Because 12,000 was the number that was chosen as a division for war. Okay, let's go to the wheat harvest, which is the secret day. You know, that is, Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And Paul, referring back to this first resurrection, obviously people had thought that it was past. Have you ever wondered why they should think the first resurrection was past? It was because of this event written in Matthew chapter 28, 52, because there had been a bodily resurrection. That's why Paul had to write to them and explain, no, that was, a, that was, the, that was the barley, but there is a wheat harvest coming. Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ. So this is only those that were saved after Pentecost. Shall rise, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the air. The point I'm trying to make, it's only the church that goes up. The other two groups do not go up in the rapture. They do go into the millennium, and we will be getting to that. So we see representationally that the thing that saved the Jews in the Old Testament, 50 days after they left Egypt, the law was given. 50 days after Jesus fulfilled the law, grace was given in the form of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts, and when the fullness uh, of, of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made under the law, and then in, in Acts 2 it says, sp- speaks about the fact that there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were, and cloven tongues of fire 
appeared unto them. The church is the only group that is going in the rapture. But the church is not the only group that is going into the millennium. Because remember now at a wedding, the church is portrayed as the bride of Christ. But at a wedding, they're also going to be guests. Jesus told the parable about the wedding that was called and the people who were bidden, the Jews originally, refused. And so he said, go into the highways and byways and compel whoever wants to come. But still, but still, everyone still had to have the wedding garment. The interesting thing about Pentecost is it's the only feast where you're told to count the day. Leviticus 23, 15. And he shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that he brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths. He's speaking about the barley harvest. The day after you bring the barley harvest, you start to count 50 days. Now today, it's always celebrated under the Jewish calendar on the 6th of Sivan, which is the third month. But it is my opinion that because Passover could move, so could this day. And so we see that's why God told them to count it. Seven Sabbaths shall he complete, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall he number 50 days. And he shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenths deals. They shall be of fine flour and they shall be bacon with leaven. How can something that is baked with leaven be a first fruit? Only when God steps in and blesses it. Only when he takes it and makes it holy. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when ye are come into the land, which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then he shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits. Nobody could eat anything of that harvest until they had brought the first fruit unto the priest. And we see that fulfilled in so many other scriptures in Joshua 4.19. And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Um, if you remember now, they celebrated the Passover after they crossed over, and then they waited a certain number of days, and they were told that they were to count. And so that tells us that Passover is, was never necessarily a fixed day. Let me go on. So they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, parched corn in the selfsame day. So God gave them a miracle for 40 years where they were eating the, ma the, the manna, but once they crossed over, they were now to eat of the, it says corn, but it's actually the wheat of the land. They were eating the spoils of the enemy. Leviticus 23, 14, And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the self same day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Again, emphasizing that we need to bring to God the first. He doesn't want our second best. He doesn't want our hand-me-downs. He wants the best of you. He wants all of your heart. And if you will do that, if you will present the first fruits to him, then you can be offered up to him and you will be raptured. Amen. Psalms 105:44 and gave them the lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people. What this is all about is that when they crossed over, they had they started to eat stuff they had not planted. It was the wheat that and the corn that they had not planted. Now we know that we know that the rapture is going to be a secret day and Jesus gives us and sets up in the New Testament um, a parable through his actions, so to speak, that gives us some clue. Let's, let's look at this. John 7, 10. But when his brethren were gone up to the feast, then went he also up to the feast, but not openly, but as it were in secret. Now, this was a seven-day feast. It was the last feast of the year. Now, notice when Jesus shows up. They had said, when are you coming? When are you coming? Aren't you coming? 
And he said, look, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming because it was a secret. It was an unknown day. But everyone was looking for him. The Jews were looking for him. But the clue to this, when he shows up in this seven-day feast, is that it's in the middle. It was on the three-and-a-half day. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus suddenly appeared. The scripture says, The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. It's going to be suddenly. We won't know the day or the hour. We may know the season. Now, how do I know or how did I come to believe that this event, the feast of first fruits of the wheat harvest is in the middle of the seven years? Well, the definitive clue is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, uh, starting in verse 9. And in the middle of the seven years is when Satan tries to take over. The Bible says the great dragon was cast out. At first, it starts off with saying there was war in heaven. And the devil and his angels fought and Michael and his angels fought. But you know how that's going to end. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now we know that this is in the middle of the seven-year period because of what's gone before and because of other times that it says. Verse 10 is the key verse that proves when the rapture happens. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Now is, that is the verse that tells us when the rapture happens. It's when Satan is kicked out. When Satan is kicked out, we go up. Here's why. Because the Bible tells us that he accused them before God day and night. Now, if the rapture was at the beginning of the seven years, that would make no sense. We're in heaven three and a half years, and for the three and a half years we're in heaven, Satan is still accusing us? You'd have to really then call him a double loser. This only makes sense if the rapture happens at this point. Because it's only in verse 12, it says, Therefore, therefore rejoice, he heavens and he that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. The clock is ticking at that point. He has three and a half years left. And because he knows that, he's going to tear up the place. That's when things get really bad. The truth is the great tribulation really only refers to the last three and a half years. That's when the wrath of God is poured out without measure upon this planet. Thessalonians 4.14, For we, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, what does it say? Will bring with him. How can he bring with him if they hadn't already gone with him. So the rapture cannot be at the end because he's bringing them back with him. There is a resurrection at the end, but it's not the rapture. So verse 10 of Revelation 12 is the key verse that tells you when the rapture happened. It happens in the middle because it says now as comes... Salvation. If salvation had already come at the beginning of the seven years, then what does this now is come salvation mean? The only explanation is that that verse is telling us something. It is when it says now is come salvation, that loud voice, Jesus himself is going to descend as he throws Satan out, we're going to go up. As the wall of Jericho fell, the people ascended. As the trumpet on Mount Sinai blew, Moses ascended. As the Lord, Jesus, God came down on the top, Moses ascended. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. So we've looked at the first bucket, which is the first fruits, and now we've looked at the wheat harvest. The final one, that this, is, this first lesson is just an overview. I'm going to go back and show you some more scriptures. The last day. See, as I said, the Jews always believed in the resurrection. That is the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not. John 6.39, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, Now remember that during Jesus' ministry, who was he speaking to? He was sent, I'm only sent to the household of Israel. So if you take these scriptures in context, he is speaking to the Jews, not the church. The church did not exist. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. In the Jewish tradition, it was always the last day was the resurrection. And this is the will of him that sent me, verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John six forty four. no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John eleven twenty four. here's the scripture that I'd referred to before. Martha said unto him, I know, speaking of Lazarus, that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The Jews believed that because that was a promise to them. And we shall see that. But that doesn't mean that that's the church. That is a resurrection, but it is not the rapture. The last day is for Israel. Old Testament saints... Old Testament saints. So tabernacles, that final feast, is an ingathering. And in Leviticus, God told them how to celebrate. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Thou shalt observe, in Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt observe the feast of tabernacles seven days, after thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. And many times when it says corn, it's not speaking of corn as we know it. It, Sometimes it's speaking of, of, of wheat, and sometimes it's speaking of just, in general, agricultural product. Let's look at this. Jesus then came to the Jews in John 7, 37, and in the last day of the great feast, what did he speak to the Jews? If any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me as the scripture... What scripture? Old Testament scripture. The New Testament had not been written. The baptism in Jesus' name had not been given yet. Let him come unto me. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. So, We can look at all of these scriptures and see clearly that each one fulfills one of the harvests, one of the prophetic fulfillments for the three harvest festivals. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8, and I know I've gone a bit long in this lesson. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jews. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. This is speaking towards the end of the seven years when Jerusalem is surrounded and about to be destroyed. And it shall come to pass in that day because of the promises, unconditional promises that God has given. That's why in Romans, Paul says that, don't you know in the end all Israel shall be saved? And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So how do the Jews get saved? And I'm almost finished. How do the Old Testament 
people get saved. Because as I said, Jesus told Nicodemus, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. We understand how we get saved because we have the full revelation. As I said in Hebrews 11:39, it says, these all died in faith, having not received the promise. So how can they go into the millennium? How can that happen? Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, he must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. It goes where it wants to, but thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come, whether it goes. So it is with everyone. No exceptions. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Any baby that is born that doesn't cry out is in trouble. That is the, the sign of life. They want to hear that baby take that first wind and cry out. So it is, Jesus said, everyone that is born of the Spirit. I want to take you to the Old Testament, and I'm almost finished. And a scripture that we're all familiar with, but I want you to look at it in new, new, with new eyes as what it is really trying to say. All of these people died under the law. Those which died and carried out all the ceremonies in faith, believing what they were taught. God has promised them something. In a vision of Ezekiel 37, verse 9, he took him to this valley and he saw all of these dead and dry bones. And he asked him, can these live? How is this going to happen? How is this going to be possible that any of Israel can be saved? Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God. Doesn't that hit you? The wind, the wind on the day of Pentecost, there came a sound as of a mighty rushing. What is happening here? God is showing that he's going to fill Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain. In, in John chapter 20, doesn't that remind you of when Jesus breathed upon his disciples and said, receive ye the Spirit. What this is showing is that even for these Old Testament Jews, they are going to be filled with the Spirit to go into the millennium. So I prophesied as he commanded. Once they're filled, what happens? They lived. That's what it says. What you're seeing here is a resurrection. It is the wine harvest. And stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are who? The, the scripture tells us plainly who they are. The whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. We're cut off. Why? Because they rejected him. But God is so gracious and mercy because he remembers his promise. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, this is very plain. This is as plain as the scripture can get that this is a resurrection. I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. When does this happen? This happens at the end of the seven years. They're not in the church, but they will be filled with the Spirit and resurrected. Romans eleven twenty six. Paul says so. And so all Israel shall be saved. All of those that went through all of the ceremonies, did all the sacrifices, brought the meal offerings, in faith believing, obediently observing the law, and put faith in who they knew as Jehovah, God has promised that they will be resurrected. They're not in the rapture. He says, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you where? Not in the rapture, not into heaven, but back into the land of Israel. So that last harvest represents two groups. The wine you get by aging. It's all of the righteous dead. The oil you get by crushing. Joel 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 24 and the floors shall be full of wheat. This is, this is now the end of the harvest. This is describing the whole, all of the products. The floors shall be full of wheat. That's the Gentiles, the church. The vats shall be overflowing with wine. That's the righteous dead from Adam. And oil, the resurrection, the tribulation saints. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. 
cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmerworm, my great army which I said, what it's describing is the beginning of the millennium, that God is going to restore the curse and that these four groups that have been harvested from the earth will go into the millennium. It's mentioned again, these four groups in Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny, the church. Three measures of barley for a penny, Israel. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Deuteronomy eleven fourteen. you know, that's why the scripture speaks about the early rain and the latter rain. What I'm trying to say is that the first resurrection is not one single event, but God laid it out in his symbolism for the three harvests of the four products. Deuteronomy 11:14. that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain, which happened on the day of Pentecost, and the latter rain that thou mayest gather in thy corn, and by corn there it means wheat and barley and thy wine and thine oil. Now, again in Ezekiel, it goes on to show that even though they're now filled with the Spirit, they still have to be baptized. For I will take you from among the heathen, I will bring, gather you out of all the countries, I will bring you into your own land. Here's the baptism, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I also give you, and a new spirit. He's speaking to Jews. This is not the church. Will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Almost finished here. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and telling him this revelation that no one could enter the kingdom unless he was born of the water and the spirit, Jesus then said something kind of strange. He said to Nicodemus, Hey, you are a scholar, a, a master of the law. You ought to know this. That's a clue that what he was telling Nicodemus was found in the Old Testament. He said, you ought to know this. This means that baptism and being filled with the spirit if, you, if he had understood it, could be found in the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 24 and 25 and 26, is where it's at. 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. 1 Corinthians 10, 2. Nobody made it out of Egypt unless they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud, the spirit, and in the sea the water. God already set up the symbol. Last scripture. And this is where we are today. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. Do you know who is the messenger today? In Jesus' time, it was John the Baptist. Today, the church should be the messenger. The church should be preparing the way for his second coming. Prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom he seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom he delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hope. Amen. This is part one. Next week, um, I will be going into a lot more detail. We talked about the 144,000, but there is just such a beautiful revelation on who those really are and putting it all together. Again, I say, whether you understand that or believe any of this is not important. What you must understand and believe is that what Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot see and he cannot enter the kingdom. And tonight, if you have not been born of the water or born or received the spirit, you have the opportunity to be born of the water and receive the Spirit. Amen. Just contact us. We have a baptismal right here, and we will be happy to baptize you in that saving name. We're going to close this Bible study tonight. I hope you will join me 
next week, and we will continue with part two. If you could just bow your hearts wherever you are. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, O God, for your promises. We thank you for the plan of redemption that you have so clearly laid out. Lord, we look for your soon coming. Lord, we ask you to keep us. Lord, let your Holy Spirit surround us. Keep us and preserve us, Lord. We just thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Help us to be the voice crying in the wilderness. Behold, the Lord cometh. Help us to be soul winners. Help us to be your image on earth. Help us to reflect your glory. Help us to be just like you. We thank you right now, Jesus, for your blessings, your grace, and your love. And we give you all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.